If you guys have your Bibles, we're ready for 1 John. 1 John chapter 2 today. We're going to begin in verse number 13. And so as we uh, get into that, we've been in this series now. I think we're in our fifth week of this series of 1 John. And so we told you guys that we were going to... um, Every week, and just want to stay consistent because I want you guys to learn the reasons why John wrote to us. And in 1 John, he gives us um, multiple reasons. We've highlighted four um, reasons that, that John writes to us. And they're things that, that we could apply to our lives. They're things that, that we should learn and grow from. And, you know, I kind of ask myself, you know, one of the tough questions in Christianity, and really a question I think that if we're being honest, we, we should ask and, and we need to ask is, does it work? Does it work? Does it really work to change lives? Does it really work? Does it really do what it says it does? Is there really this this change and this life abundancy that that God offers in His Word and that I preach to you guys every Sunday? And so when we're just asking those 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 honest questions of the Lord, I, I think that God God will do those things, and we see that, and we're going to see in John, and John is writing to answer those questions. I've encouraged you guys and been encouraging us as a church to be reading 1 John, that that those things will be accomplished um, in in our reading. So the first one is, he says in chapter 1, verse 4, these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Some of you might be thinking like, what does that feel like? Joy? Yeah, right. Have you you seen my life, my week, my day? And and sometimes, we we talked about this a couple weeks ago, how, you know, joy can be something that's fleeting at times, right? Joy can be something that that, that seems hard. But in in 1 John, as we read it, as we hear the the Father heart of God, there, there is joy. You know, one of the things that Jesus came to do, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that more abundantly. And it's not talking about material abundance. It's talking about an abundance of joy, blessing, of fulfillment. And, and that, that Jesus brings that. And so in 1 John, as you read through it, we get this invitation to be the friend of Jesus that, that John was. Old man John, as we've, as we've highlighted, he's late in life. He's, he's not pulling any punches. He's got no points to earn. Have you guys ever had like a, you know, you have a grandpa or grandma in your family and, you know, you're, you're around the Thanksgiving dinner table and, uh, you know, everybody's thinking it, but nobody will say it. And finally, grandma just says, hey, why don't you just do this or do that? And, you know, grandma just, she's not afraid. Grandpa just says it how it's supposed to be. And everybody else is like, you know, and they just had enough. You know, Grandpa John is at that point. He just is going to tell you how it is. And he's going to shoot straight. And, and the amazing thing is we can receive it. Because he's going to shoot straight in love. And John's going to address us multiple times in this letter. Like, my little children, my dear children, beloved. And, and, and he's going to gently, in a loving way, but he's going to also punch you in the eye. He's going to punch me in the eye. He's going to step on our feet because he's just going to shoot straight. But in that, the first reason that he says here that he writes is that we would have joy. The second one, in chapter 2, verse 1, these things we write that you may not... Well, we got to start over. We'll try that again. Chapter 2, verse 1. These things we write that you may not sin or that you sin not. Chapter 2, verse 26. These things we write that you be not deceived. These things we write that you be not deceived. And the last one, that you know that you have. Oh, that one was better. Let's do that one again. That you know that you have. 
All right, one more time so we get him, we get him a little better. He writes so that your joy may be, that you might not, that you be not, and that you know you have. Oh, you guys are good. Chapter 2, verse 15 is where we're going to begin today. We left off in verse 14, and John is writing. He says to young men, to, to middle-aged men, to old men, and, and John is writing to, to several different categories and addressing different categories. And if we look at the church, regardless of the age of, of the individuals in the church, each one of us has an age of our spiritual growth that's different. There, there's a, a, a physical age, and then there's also a spiritual age. My spiritual birthday was um, March... In 1994, I don't know the exact day, but I know the month and the year. March of 94, I got saved. And so that's how long that I've been a Christian. The interesting thing about spiritual growth, unlike our physical growth, is that it it, it doesn't necessarily just grow with time. It grows with investing. It grows with communing. It grows with fellowship and abiding. And as we abide in Jesus, as we get in his word, as we spend time with him, as we invest in our Christian life, then, then our, our spiritual life grows. And so where we left off last week is John is addressing these different stages of spiritual life. You know, when I was a young Christian, God gave me a verse in, in Psalms. And he said to me, in a word of prophecy, he said, I'm going to give you an understanding that surpasses that of your elders. And, and the group that I was with at the time, that I, when I first got saved, um, they, they'd been walking with the Lord for a long time. But they weren't involved in a church that encouraged teaching the Word and knowing the Word and reading the Word and getting in the Word. And, and their spiritual understanding lacked. And, and we, were, we were into you know, some of those, those TV preachers that, you know, that, that really, they're, they're, they're heretics and they're false doctrine. And, you know, and, and there came a time where, where God fulfilled that prophecy in that circle. And then he sent me to another group and never happened there. You know, I got in, in, in Calvary Chapel and with my pastor. But there, there was a spiritual growth that, that I had in being in God's word. And, and as a young believer of a couple years of studying the word and, and praying and seeking God, even as a young man that surpassed that of some that had been a Christian for a long time. And so... Um, so John is addressing that. And then um, the first theme that we got to in, in the in first John is that is it's one word starts with an L. It is love. So that that's the theme of John, right? Love, love God, love God with all your heart, mind and soul. Love your neighbor. And John's going to tell us over and over and over again in this epistle, love one another. The simplest, purest, the best um, form of Christianity, you guys, is that we love God and we love one another. Jesus said, you're love one for another. By this, they'll know you're my disciples. And so we get to this love, 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 love. And now we come to chapter 2, verse 15, and John steps on the brakes. You guys want to hear a Thibodeau and Boudreaux joke? Thibodeau, Thibodeau, my mom's here. So in, in honor of my mom, I, I'm going to tell a Cajun joke. My dad was French Cajun from southern Louisiana. And so in, in, my, in my family, on my dad's side, um, everywhere you go, it's a family gathering. It's a competition to who can tell more Thibodeau and Boudreaux jokes. And Thibodeau and Boudreaux are the, the butt of all the, all the jokes that they tell. And my brother Darren's wedding, we were in the kitchen and we started about 10 o'clock and the cousins started telling Thibodeau and Boudreaux jokes. And um, about 2 o'clock, was, I had enough and I went to bed and they, they, they just kept going all night. But um, one time, Thibodeau was driving by Boudreaux's house, and he saw a sign in the front yard, and it said, boat for sale. Now, now, you have to understand something about Cajun people to set this up. Cajun people are speaking English, but you have to subtitle them because you can't understand what they're saying. 
You guys seen Swamp People? That, that's, that, that's literally my dad's family. So, so their English is, is really broken. So he's driving by Thibodeau's house. He sees a sign in the front yard that said, Bolt for sale. So Thibodeau slam on them brakes. Put that thing in reverse. He go back to Boudreaux's house and he's banging on the door. Kaboom, kaboom, kaboom. And Boudreaux opened the door and he said, man, what all that noise? Thibodeau's outside. He mad. He said, man. He said, how long we've been friends? Thibodeau said, man, we've been friends all our lives. Why? And he said, man, well, you got a sign in your front yard that said boat for sale. And I didn't know you got, you got a boat. And, Th- and Boudreaux looked at him. He said, man, he said that. He said, man, look, look over your left shoulder. And he looked over his left shoulder. He said, man, you see that Cadillac over there? He said, yeah, man, I'm see that Cadillac. He said, man, look over that other shoulder you got. He said, man, you see that sedan over there? And he looked over and he said, yeah, I see that sedan. I see that sedan over there. And he said, man, what a boat for sale. <laughs> well, I, I could go like the, uh, the, the weddings things. Now once I start, I can't stop, you know. But one more true story now. My uncle had a horse. And, and he wanted to sell this horse. And so... The neighbor comes over. He didn't want to sell the horse. The neighbor comes over and he says, I want to buy that horse. He said, man, that is a beautiful horse. I want to buy that horse. And my uncle said to him, he said, ah, he said I'm not selling you that horse. And he said, that horse don't look too good. And the guy said, man, you're crazy. He said, that's a beautiful horse. I want to buy that horse. And my uncle said, no. He said, I'm, I'm not selling you that horse. He said, that horse don't look too good. And the guy said, if it's money, you, you, whatever it is, I want that horse. It's a beautiful horse. And so reluctantly, my uncle sells him the horse and the guy comes back like a week later and he's in a cast and he's all beat up and he's cursing my uncle up one side and down the other. And he says, you stupid old man, you sold me a blind horse. He said, I told you that horse don't look too good. All right. We, we definitely got to cut that out of the tape. It has nothing to do with my notes. I don't know why stepping on the brakes just reminded me of a Thibodeau and Boudreaux story. So I don't share them very often. So I thought I'd share a little bit of my roots this morning. If you guys didn't know that I was uh, French Cajun, that's where the last name Begno comes from. My cousins, uh, my, my, my aunt Lydia and my cousin Lorenzo and all her family, Uncle Henry, they're the bros. B-R-O, right? Easy, bro. No. The Cajuns spell it B-R-E-A-U-X, bro. All right, so that has nothing to do with where we are except for stepping on the brakes. All right, so, so John steps on the brakes there from love one another and all of a sudden, he says, do not love. And, and if we stop there, we're like, whoa, 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 what's John doing? Why is he flipping? Why is he now telling us not to love? Well, let, let's take it in context and see what he says. I'm going to read through um, to verse 23, and then we'll go back and we'll, we'll break it down. In, in verse 15, John says, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And this world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we knew, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. Out right there. That's me. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. 
Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So we get this first contrast of do not love the world. And I think in, in our Christian circles, in our Christian understanding, I think it's very important, right, that we have a, a healthy concept of, of what the world is. It's a term that we use all the time. You'll hear it in church. If you grew up in church, you know, worldly, secular, things of the world. Now, it, it can be a little confusing, right, because didn't God say in John three sixteen that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son? Same word. The word is cosmos. It's the same word for world used um, all throughout the New Testament, 316 times in the New Testament, the word world. But, but the idea that, that God loves the world and the things of the world and that God loves people right where they are and he's going to pour his spirit out upon them and, and that Christ died for us while we were yet sinners, that, that you're never too broken to come to Christ, that, that God will receive you and God can accept you no matter what you've done or where you've been. He loves you so much he won't leave you there. That, that concept is intact when John says to us as Christians to not love the things of the world. In Romans chapter 12, in verse 2, in one of my favorite sections of of the book of Romans, in this same idea, the Apostle Paul tells us, um, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so um, the same idea, and, and I like, whenever we talk about a concept, whenever we're teaching on baptism, on doctrine trinity on anything that has to do with with biblical doctrine doctrine of salvation doctrine of angels demons um you always want to take the entire counsel of god's word introduced in the old testament taught of jesus um, mentioned by the epistles in the new testament you take all the concepts the ideas together before we make doctrines and opinions and before we form um biblical dogmatic doctrines and so when, it, when we take something like this, it's, it's cool to take different writers and different people that walk with Jesus. And so here we have John telling us. We also have Paul telling us. Peter tells us something similar. Paul tells Timothy. Um, in, or in second, Paul tells the Corinthians that um, Satan is the god of this age or the god of this world. It can be translated there. Same thing we get. Um, and Jesus himself tells us that Satan is the prince of this world. You guys familiar with that? Does it, does it shock anybody in here? Is it news to anybody? Maybe you're new to this idea or this concept that Jesus himself, and the Bible says that Satan is God with a little g. He's the God of this world. He's the prince of the air. And, and that there's this scene in Revelation. When we get to the book of Revelation, it's at after the seven-year period. And we get this scene in Revelation. And during the tribulation, there's this scroll. And nobody's worthy to loose the scroll or open it. And it says there's silence in heaven for the space of a half an hour. One of the reasons why we know there'll be no women in heaven. <laughs> Just kidding. There'll be plenty of women in heaven. A matter of fact, we'll all be the bride of Christ by that point. So, um, and, and there's this, because this is the title deed to planet earth. And, and nobody can open it or loose the scrolls. And then finally, someone says the Lamb of God is able, is worthy to open the scroll and loose the seals. And that's Jesus Christ who bought the, this, this title deed with his blood and his life. And he's worthy based on his accomplishments and dying and raising again and defeating sin and death. That scroll contains the title deed to the earth. 
It's, it's the property um, title deed, the owner of the earth, and it has been forfeited to Satan. It has been given, and when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, from that point forward, Adam and Eve were not born with a sin nature, but they received and inherited a sin nature. And you and I today, we are born with a sin nature. It's fundamental to our faith to understand that we're, 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 we have and we need a Savior. We can't save ourselves because we were born with a sin nature. Was Jesus born with a sin nature? Why and how? He's different, right? Because Jesus was born of a virgin, the only one born of a virgin. And, and Jesus has, has no earthly father. His, his, his earthly father, Mary, was impregnated by the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon her. And a virgin gave birth, which gave Jesus the ability to be born and not inherit the sin nature that you and I inherited. And so we have um, Satan, who is the prince of this world. So Satan, as the prince of this world, who has the title deed currently to the earth, does Satan have a plan of attack in your life? Is, is Satan desiring to destroy you? Is he, is he like, he's like just content? Like maybe he's on a beach in Tahiti and what he likes to do is kind of surf and just hang out. And, you know, he owns the whole world. He has the title deed. Do, do you realize when, when Satan brought Jesus up onto the temple of the pinnacle of the temple and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their treasures. And Satan said to Jesus, all these things I will give you if you just bow down to me. Do you know that Jesus didn't refute the claim that Satan had the power to give him all the kingdoms of the world and the treasures that were therein? the Bible says? Because Satan has them, they're his. And when he offered them to Jesus, he, he ha- Jesus didn't say, you, th- those aren't yours to give, those belong to me and the Father. Jesus didn't say that because not until revelation, not until yet future will, will Jesus redeem the world back to himself. But in the meantime, we, we live in a world where Satan is the prince of the air of this world. In Ephesians, it tells us on this side of the cross that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, a principalities and powers, but a host of wickedness in dark places. And basically that, that, that we have a real life enemy, a real life battle. You know, they say, which everybody, it's just preacher jargon, right? We always say things to kind of sound important at the time. But they say that Satan's number one, his biggest lie that he ever um, gave that's the most powerful is that he doesn't exist. Don't worry about it. It's, it's, there's no hell. There's no Satan. And, and maybe that's true. Maybe it is, it is Satan in his power and his, in his, in his trickery wants to tell the world that he don't exist. But I'm here to tell you today, he does exist. Aren't you glad you guys came to church this morning? Like, what else you got, Pastor? It's going to get worse. Don't worry. Um, wait till I tar- start telling you what Satan has done. And, 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 but listen, there is a point, okay? And, and what John is saying here, you guys, and what we're going to read and what we're going to study today is that John is telling us that Satan has a plan. He's successful in his plan. And he doesn't want you as Christian people to be a part of it. Okay? Look at your neighbor and say, no way. Not me. No way, Jose. Keep going. I'm just kidding. Um, so so that, that, that is the idea that, that, that there is a real enemy. And if, you, if you're like an ostrich with your head in the sand and you just pretend he's not there and that he doesn't want to destroy your life, you're going to miss it. And we should, as Christian people, have a discernment as we look at things in the world that, that we should be a part of, that we shouldn't be a part of. John's going to identify him and he says, do not love the world or, or the things of the world. Now, I, um, I got married in June of 1998. 
I do remember the day, June 6th. And um, probably about June 4th. Now, we went on a honeymoon, so it must have been the following week. Somewhere around probably June 24th, a Saturday, I get a call. And it's my buddies. And my buddies say, hey, we're going to go golf today. We're going to hang out, man. We're going to go back to the, to the pad after that. You want to come and, and hang out today and go play golf? I'm like, yeah, dude, that sounds so fun. And I went, wait a minute, hold on. I'm married now. Uh, honey? Oh, sorry, guys. I can't go. I got to do the dishes and take out the trash and <laughs> mop the floors. My wife's, my wife's love language is acts of service. So... You know, that's how I, I, that's how I roll. You know, I mop the floor when I want to do good and, um, she enjoys it. She appreciates it. You know, she told me I never look so good as when I'm vacuuming the floors and mopping the floors and doing the dishes. So, um, but the reality is when, when we got married, for those of us that are married, when we, we entered into a relationship, a binding relationship with our spouse, it changed our relationship, our previous relationships that we had before that, right? It changed my relationship with the guys. And I can't just not, I just can't go and, and hang out with them. I, I have a different relationship now. And, and when, when you become a Christian, it changes your relationship to the world. It immediately changes your, your, your outlook and your, your interaction with the world and the things of the world. And, and Jesus wants us to be set apart. Jesus said, um, you are in the world, but not of the world. And so we, we need to be removed or set apart. Now, me personally, and I, I think this is just an area of um, philosophy, um, I think Christians make a mistake when they interpret this to mean that God wants us to um, isolate ourselves. The Jews did that in history, and, and it was a mistake. God didn't want them. The Jews got to the point where, where God had given them the word of God. He gave them the, 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 the call to share the, the, the word and give it out to the world. And instead, they, they got arrogant and, and boastful, and, 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 and Gentiles became dogs, and, and they were you know their donkey was more valuable than a Gentile. If a Gentile even brushed up against you, they would... You know, they would yell unclean and they would go ceremonially bathe. And, and what they did was they isolated themselves. And, and I don't think that's what God's calling us to do. That's my opinion. That, that, that you, you, it's just not consistent with what the Word of God says. He, he's, Jesus said you're in the world, but not of the world. And, and sometimes our Christianity, it needs to be isolated, right? We, we need to protect our kids, you know. There, there's, there's reasons that, that we, we go inward, but if we only go inward as Christians, who's going to share the gospel? Who's going to interact with sinners? Who's going to take the part of Jesus? You know who Jesus hung out with when he was alive? Sinners. You know who was comfortable around Jesus? Sinners. Now, they didn't stay sinners. He didn't go hang out at the bar with them and, 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 and you know, do what they were doing. They, their lives were radically changed when they were introduced to him and when he met them. But he loved them and he hung out with them. And so we're, we're in this world, but we're not of this world. And there needs to be a discernment as Christians to, to what part of this world we're going to let touch our lives. Somebody say discernment. Okay, so there's a discernment in, in what's now. Now, here again, what happens in Christianity? Christians say, oh, you know, like movies are bad. Music is bad. Art is bad. Life is bad. And, and don't have anything to do with it. And, 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 you know, if you want to be a real Christian, you've got to get lemons, you've got to suck on them, and you've got mm, to be sour all the time and, and miserable because all those things are bad and they're Satan and they're evil. 
And, and, and the world looks at that and they don't understand because they don't have any spiritual discernment and immediately they're turned off. Like, what's wrong with that stuff? There's nothing wrong with that stuff. And, and, then, and then self-righteousness creeps in. And, 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 and as Christians, we look at other Christians who, who watch that TV show that we would never watch because it's secular, it's worldly, it's ungodly, and I would never do that. And now I must be a better, I'm, I'm a better Christian than they are because I, I don't watch that stuff. And, you know, I don't, I don't smoke and chew and hang out with girls that do. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm better than that. And, and, I'm, and I'm more, and, I'm, and self-righteousness creeps in. And that's, that's a turn off. So discernment is what I asked you guys to say out loud because I, I'm trying to communicate and hopefully I'll do a better job maybe than we're doing as we're going in a circle. But what I want to communicate is that there are things of the world that are wrong. They are sinful. They are bad. Sometimes when we communicate that to our kids, to, to our coworkers, to our friends, they, 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 they're going to be turned off they're not going to want what you have. They're not going to want to be like you are unless we can communicate in a loving way, in a way that that stuff and, and show them where that's wrong and how it's wrong. You know, I talked to my kids yesterday around breakfast after I'd been studying this. And, and, and I want to just try to communicate to them that, that there are things in the, in the world. There are things that, that they don't deliver. They don't satisfy. And that, and that as Christian people, we, we have to remain, number one, I think we have to remain grateful for all that we have. And I think that we have to remain generous and generous to people and generous to things in our lifestyle. So um, let, let's, let's break it down really quick. Verse 15, that was the intro, kind of long. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the, the love of the Father is not in him. So again, some Christians interpret this, and you might say something to, to a certain Christian. You might say, oh man, I love the sunset. I love the way that the trees look in, in, uh, in the canyon over here in Salt Lake City when, in fall when the leaves are changing. I love the way that looks. Man, I, I love animals. I love the whales. Or so, and, it's, and the Christians say, they'll, they'll quote this verse. Don't love the world or the things in it. Anyone who loves the world doesn't love the Father. Shut up. That has nothing to do with what the Bible says or teaches or the heart of God. And it's not, you know, that's not being worldly or secular. You can like art. You can like a sports team. You can like um, nature. You can like animals. You can like, you know, you can, you can save the whales if you want to. You know, the thing is, if you, if you, get, if you don't put God first in every part of your life, then, yeah, it gets it gets twisted. And, and if you got... Uh, pro-choice bumper sticker on one side and a save the whales bumper sticker on the other side it's a little inconsistent and 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 again it's 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 ungodly and so but but not to think that we can't appreciate the things in life that we can't enjoy life and and living and things in the world but we're not oriented with wanting stuff and position and and this idea that satan brings to the world what what is satan um what does Satan tell, tell the world? What, what, as a young person growing up, for myself and then even for you, what kind of things did you think would make you happy? Let, let's say in your BC days, your before Christ days. Think about something that was maybe a concept, a, a mentality that, that you had that you thought would bring fulfillment and bring happiness and joy in your life. And you know, we're, we're influenced as young people. And I was influenced as young people by the music that I listened to. 
And, and you know, it was kind of the, the, the rap culture was going on around where I grew up at that time. And NWA was just getting started. And, um, you know, and I liked all kinds of music. I liked Metallica and Red Hot Chili Peppers. And I grew up listening to that kind of stuff. And that really influenced who I was and what I thought would be cool. And, um, you know, the movies that I watched and um, just the idea that, um, you know, if I, I like to skate. And so, you know, maybe being a professional skateboarder or being a professional musician or um, having a lot of money, because money means you could have a lot of girls and you could have a big house and you get to drive a Maserati or whatever you want to drive. And, you know, that these are the things that make us happy, right? This is kind of the idea that we have. And Grandpa John here basically is going to say, don't seek the things of the world. And why not? Because those things don't fulfill. They don't do what they claim they're going to do. They don't do what, what they, they say they're going to do. Satan's a liar. And, and as we pursue the things of the world, they'll leave you wanting. They'll leave you empty. They'll leave you destroyed, lost, unfulfilled. You know, I, I think the reality is if, if you pursue the things of the world, you're going to get to this point um, where you're going to ask yourself this question, then why am I so empty? And maybe some of you are in here today and you, you kind of are feeling that same way. Why am I so empty? And, and, and even in my Christianity, maybe, you know, as, as these things are not fulfilling, what, what has left me so empty? Well, there's a void. And there really is that God-shaped hole in your heart. And we take and we try to put the things of the world into our heart and the things that Satan lies to us about and presents as, as enticing, that seem enticing to us. And, and we want to fulfill that hole and we keep pushing all this stuff in there and none of it works and we end up empty. We, we don't understand what the meaning of life is because we haven't found it. And, and God's placed eternity in our hearts. And, and, and then we, we can't really. And we get to that point where we're empty. And then we ask another big question everybody wants to know. You know, one of the most Googled topics that, that things that are typed into. Somehow Google keeps track of everything you type into Google. And somewhere you can Google the Google database on things that, that have been typed into Google. And one of the top... Um, questions that's that's asked of google what is the meaning of what is the meaning of life and and it's just a question the world wants to know what's the meaning of life what am i doing what what is what is the meaning of life what is the purpose is it is it just i don't know try to find happiness and 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 again if, if if i can't understand the meaning of life why am i so empty you know we grew up i grew up idolizing um, certain musicians, sublime, um, not sublime. They came later, but, um, the, the, the just idols and, and bands and groups and things that, that, that I idolized and these people that our kids, you know, look up to today. And, and you know, it's obvious, right? Like if you talk to your kids and you say, what, what is the result of these rock stars? Like, let's take, you know, on Wednesday night, I showed a picture of Bieber fever. You guys seen it, right? It's all the 13-year-old girls, and, and they really look like they're going to die. Like, their faces are red, their eyes are bulging out, they're screaming, ah! like they're freaking out because Justin Bieber is there. And so what does every other young boy, kids, our 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15-year-old kids, what do they want to do? They want to be Justin Bieber. They, they, that's, that's, that, that's life, Right? Now, now, some of us, like my age, like, you know, Justin was cool in the beginning. And then for my kids, he got like, 
oh no, like uh, you know, you can't, you can't, you know, that's not cool anymore. He's he's lame. He's old, whatever. And then he made this resurgence, right, where he's back now. He's cool again, I guess. But I, I came across this list of famous people, famous icons that we have who all died young, and, and who all died from from a a lifestyle of, of things of the world. And so in verse 15, he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. These are the things that are not of the Father, but are of the world, John tells us. And, and the lust of, of, of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. The pride of life says, I want to get wealthy. I want to have power. One of the things that drives men today is, is a power that comes when other men respect them and do what they tell them. Money can buy you that power. The lust of the eyes, um, sexual pleasures, pornography, uh, a car that you really like seeing in your driveway, and you lust after those things. The lust of the flesh can be fulfilled in, in so many ways. And, and these are the things of the world that don't deliver. But yet this is the package that, that, that Hollywood, that, that our media, that the world tells us that Satan has packaged so beautifully and said, hey, these are the things that will make you happy. And we grow up watching people. And if that's the thing that makes us happy, then, then let me ask you for these people who achieve that. Let, let, me, let me read this list to you. It's going to get a little depressing, but don't just... I told... I warned you before. Listen to this. At 23 years old, River Phoenix died from a cocaine and heroin overdose. You guys remember River Phoenix? What was the movie he was in? Lost Boys? Was it Lost Boys? He was like a young actor, 23 years old. Um, at, at 27, in the famous or infamous 27 Club, where so many famous people have died at the age of 27, we have the, the 70s gurus and rockers, Jimi Hendrix. Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison, all died from drug overdoses at the age of 27. We have more recently, at the age of 27, Amy Winehouse died from a drug overdose. Or actually, not a drug overdose. Amy Winehouse died from alcohol poisoning. Um, at, at age 21, a couple had just, a few of them just missed the 27 club. But um, Heath Ledger dies from an accidental overdose of prescription, trying to get out of his role as the Joker. Method acting. You guys ever heard the term method acting? Method acting is um, <clears throat> when you see an amazing performance. I don't know. I think of like, I'm in church now. I got to be careful. But the first thing that comes to my mind is like Jack Nicholas in The Shining or like, um, you can't handle the truth or, you know, some really epic um, Braveheart, Mel Gibson and Braveheart, you know, like these really epic performances on screen. Um, Tom Hanks has done it multiple times, right? In some of his movies, Forrest Gump and different things. And, and, and they say that you, nobody's that good. There's really nobody that's that talented of an actor to pull that off. So what they do in the acting world is called method acting. And what you do is you become the character and you live it from the start of filming to the end of filming and you stay in character the entire time. And Heath Ledger was method acting when they were filming, when he was filming his role as the Joker for Batman. 
And he stayed in paint in his face on his off days when they weren't filming, when he didn't even show up to the set. He had a cabin that was in isolation where he was staying and he would stay in, in, in his paint and in his role as Joker and lived as that role so that it could come out on screen in this method acting. And, and, and again, we watch that and we idolize that. And it's, it's the things of this world that John says... That, that, are, that are of Satan that don't satisfy. What happened to Heath Ledger? The filming got over, and he was trying to come out of that method. He was trying to come out of that character of the Joker, and he couldn't because he had opened himself up to demonic influence and oppression and possibly possession, and he couldn't get the Joker out of his head. And so he began to take prescription medications to sleep, and, and, and in the middle of the night, after already taking a ton of prescription medications to sleep and to get normal again, he woke up and who knows what he took. He didn't even know what he took and he accidentally overdosed and died from a drug overdose at age 28. And then we have people, um, Corey Monteith of Glee. He died of a heroin overdose at age 28. Bradley Noel, the lead singer for Sublime. Bradley Noel grew up in a music family. His mother was a music teacher at a high school, and his father was, was, a, was a performer in music, grew up in music his whole life. He was absolutely a musical genius in so many ways. He, he, he worked hard. They struggled in garage bands, and they finally made it big. He got signed by a major label. They were on their first world tour. Their first album had just gone platinum. He was in San Francisco at age 28, after performing a show, had another one the next night, and his, and, his, and his band members went to wake him up, and he was laying on his bed with a needle sticking out of his arm. He died from a heroin overdose at age 28. Now, again, don't you think that if, if being on stage, and again, how many of us have went to a concert and saw the guy on stage and said, man, if I could be that guy, I would be... You know, I would be, man, that would be my dream. And, 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 and 99.9% of the population, we never get to that point. We just always get stuck in this life of wishing I was that guy. Man, I wish I was that guy. Well, how come that guy is in a hotel room with a needle sticking out of his arm because he just overdosed from heroin at 28 years old? Is that what you want for your sons? Is that what you want for your daughters? Is that what we want for ourselves? Those are the, the, the lust of the flesh that John's talking about. The lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Do not love the world or the things in it. Are you guys totally like depressed yet? I can keep going. SNL actor John Belushi at age 33 dies from a heroin and cocaine overdose. His um, protege, Chris Farley, who idolized John Belushi, also dies at age 33 from a cocaine and morphine overdose. Lydia and I ran into Chris Farley not, not long before he died. We were in Santa Monica, coincidentally, and we're on the promenade in Santa Monica. And, and Lydia and I are walking hand in hand, and, and, and coming towards us is Chris Farley. And I didn't say nothing. I looked at her, and she looked at me, and we both recognized him. And he just walked right by us, and that was it. We didn't stop him. We didn't say hi. Nobody was really bothering him. And it wasn't long after that he died from a drug overdose at the same age as his, his SNL idol. Whitney Houston, how did she die? Drug overdose in a bathtub in a hotel, common denominator in a hotels. It seems like these lifestyles end up in a hotel somewhere dead. Anna Nicole Smith, remember her? Was once time supermodel. Anna, Anna, Anna Nicole Smith dies of a prescription overdose at age 39. 
Kurt Cobain at age 27 puts a gun in his mouth and pulls the trigger at the height of his career and his life and his success. Robin Williams, most recently, who struggled and battled depression, commits suicide. Philip Seymour Hoffman of Hunger Games and many other things, recently overdosed from heroin. Lead singer of Stone Temple Pilots. Anybody remember them? One of you? In the, in the... Scott Weiland, lead singer of Stone Temple Pilots, dies from a heroin overdose. And then we have some of our biggest icons and biggest names in our lifetime all dying from drug overdoses. Elvis Presley dies from a drug overdose at 42. The Michael Jackson, who is the, the greatest performer and, and, and talented person that's, that's possibly ever lived, who God gave this, this young man such an amazing vision and talent and ability, and he never used it for God's glory. And man, there was nobody that could dance, that could entertain, that could sing. I'm not even really a huge fan, but man, you just appreciate talent. And then there's not too many people that I, on, in history that have ever been as talented as Michael Jackson. And, his, and he didn't use that talent for God. And his talent ends in a drug overdose in his life. And then most recently, kind of Michael Jackson's counterpart dies from a drug overdose. Any guesses? Prince dies recently from a drug overdose. Any of you guys want your kids to grow up and be Prince? Michael Jackson, is that what we wish for him? Now, you know what, what, what I wish for my kids is that, you know, they would have that much talent, but they would use it for God's glory. And they would not seek the things of the world. And they would not chase these dreams that, that end up in, in nowhere. And, and, and Grandpa John just says, hey guys, listen. It doesn't deliver. It's not going to meet that hole in your life. It's not going to deliver. Stay away from it. And then um, it says in verse 17, And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of the Father abides forever. So you want to invest in the world? Here's another motivation for you besides some that I've already given you. The, The Grandpa John says, The world is passing away. Hey, really quick. Take a pause. Um, can everybody get out their wallet, their checkbooks? And I want you guys to write some, write me a check. I am, um, I'm starting a new business and we, we have no capital. We have no future. Um, you're going to lose all your money as you invest, but, um, would love for you guys to invest with me in this new business venture. So you can get out your checkbooks and, and, and write a very large check to invest in this business. That's going nowhere. That's going to fail that you will get zero return for. Nobody's getting out of their checkbook. And, and Grandpa John says, hey, this world is passing away. The things of this world are dying. And why are we investing in it? Does it make any sense to invest in the things of this world? Do not love the things of this world. Do you guys take notes? I got to do better on this. I want, um, I, I want you guys to get in the habit of taking notes. I think it's important. You know, even on our notes... Even if you don't go back and read them and study them, because I have tons of notes that I took in church and I never even looked at them again. There's times where I've gone back to them where God's brought me back to them. But just if you write, God, I think, I think it just, it'll help you grow in Jesus. I think it'll help you grow in your understanding and your knowledge of the word as we go through them. So those of you who are taking notes, um, the rest of you just fake it. Um, we're, we're not going to get into normally in this study right here in first John, we'd take you to Genesis chapter three, where, where, Satan shows up and tempts Eve. Why would we do that? Because Satan has three plays that John, that John highlights for us here. He says the, 
lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and the lust of the flesh. So what you're going to see when Satan is tempting Eve, you're going to see these three plays are in play as Satan is tempting Eve. So if, if Satan was a football coach, he's not really multifaceted. He's run left, run right, run up the middle. Lust of the eyes, lust of the, lust of the flesh, pride of life. So just write down Genesis chapter 3. You can look it up later. The other one is Matthew chapter 4. What happens in Matthew chapter 4? Satan shows up and he tempts Jesus. And what three plays does Satan use when he's trying to tempt Jesus? The same three plays. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Okay? You know what's funny is the world and Satan picks up on this. And... um, you know, there, there's so many things. When I was a kid, there was a popular brand that we used to always wear. I think it was maybe high school, early high school. And it was a skate brand, I think. It was called SMP. And it was super popular. And, it's, and it could stand for a lot of things. But the, the basic thing that it stood for was sex, money, and power. And sex, money, and power fit right into these three plays of Satan that he tempts us, that, that so many of us fall in. So many of these places of the cares of this world is this, this sex, money, and power. And so many of us will fall in one of those three areas. And that's, that's, that's Satan who's... He doesn't have to be super ingenious. You know, Satan's plan of attack with Eve is he attacked the word. He made God not fair. He used one of these plays. And the first thing he said to Eve was, Has God really said? Did God really say that you'll die if you eat of that tree? God's just unfair. God knows that if you eat of it, you'll get smart and wise, and He just doesn't want you to eat of it. And He tempted tempted Eve, and she ate of it. Same temptation He uses today. Same lies you'll find present in the cults of of our day. And the isms and the schisms and the false religions that are out there, you'll find the same things. This this is... uh, I I just want to share this, you guys. This is the last thing, and then we're going to move on. Um, from this topic and this subject. But, you know, I was, I was looking at my list of all these people who died young. And, and, you know, I was going through them. And I'd heard of the 27 Club before. And so I typed that into Google. And, and it brought up a lot of other names. And, um, you know, just came up with the list of the names that I read you. And some that I knew. And some that I was familiar with. And for whatever reason, I'm sitting in my office. And I start singing this little jingle in my head. Only the good die young. No, you youngsters are looking at me like I'm crazy, right? It's an old song by Billy Joel, Only the Good Die Young. And I think of all these good and talented people that died young. And um, so, you know, the interesting thing about this Billy Joel song is that it's upbeat and it's like twangy and it's like it's kind of happy clappy type of song. Only the good die young. I shouldn't be singing, but... um, so I, I played it, you know, and, and if this song came on as I'm driving in the car, you know, I probably turned it up with the boys and, and listened to it. And, you know, but I, I, as I'm playing it, I'm listening to it on YouTube. The lyrics are flashing in front of me. And I, for the first time, I'm kind of z- examining the lyrics of this song. That's an old song, right? And I could take songs from today and I could do the same thing. And, and this is what I'm trying to illustrate so we don't get lost. I'm trying to illustrate that there, there is a plan of Satan that's calculated and we have to have, starts with a D, Come on, y'all. We have to have what? We have to have discernment as parents. We have to have discernment as Christians. I don't want to make you self-righteous, better than somebody else Christians. That's not my heart. That's not my point. But, but definitely, guys, let, let's use some wisdom in what we receive and what we take in. If we understand this, it'll help you. If you understand that Satan has a calculated plan. 
So I read the lyrics to this song, and as I'm reading it, every one of them, this twangy, happy song that's really depressing that good people die young, it's talking to young Christian people and basically making fun of them and telling them that they're boring and that they missed it. And then it goes through some some ceremonies and some things that you'll find among Catholics and Christians and, and belittles them. And, and, and again, uses one of the same tactics that Satan uses of, of making you feel that you're, if you're a Christian, you're ignorant or you're dumb or you're uneducated. Listen to what this song says. If you guys ever probably never even heard the words of this old Only the Good Die Young song. And, and, and it starts with a bunch more. I won't bore you with all the lyrics, but just the middle section. It says, you got a nice white dress and a party on your confirmation. Confirmation is a, is a thing where you're, you're confirmed in faith. Some, some denominations still have confirmation. Catholics, the Lutherans, um, believe some others still do a confirmation. And at 13, you're confirmed, you're, you're, you're confirmed in the church. And it says you got a pretty white dress and, and, you, and a party on your confirmation. you got a brand new soul. But Virginia, they didn't give you quite enough information. You didn't count on me when you were counting on your rosary. They say there's a heaven for those who will wait. Some say it's better, but I say it ain't. I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners are much more fun. You know, only the good die young. Like, I mean, it just that just is repeated over and over and over and over and over again in our music, in our, in our message, in our movies. And so just have some discernment with the things of this world. And just understand this, that, that, that and it's not going to kill us to, to turn some of that stuff off every once in a while and, and turn on some, something that's godly and wholesome and something that, that, that sows into our life. And just know if you put enough of that in your life, you're going to find yourself empty. You're going to find yourself wanting because it's not going to deliver. And there is a calculated attack of Satan. All right. All right. We got to move on. We're going to finish to verse 23. This next section will go pretty quick. We are going to receive communion today. Um, that, that means nothing in preacher talk when I say we're almost done. It's going to end quick. Little children, it is the last hour, as you have heard, that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is the Antichrist, who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Look at verse number 18. Little children, it is the last hour. John believed he was living in the last days. Do you believe you're living in the last days or the last hours? I do. And and the world takes this concept and they mock it. Peter tells us in prophecy and prophesying about the day that we live in that, that people will mock us because we believe that Jesus is coming back. And they'll say... Um, when is the promise of his coming? The Lord is slack concerning his promise. He ain't coming. He didn't come last year. He didn't come the year before that. He's not coming this year. And and that the world will say that. But um, really quickly, God wanted to, and, and God designed it in such a way that every generation would live with the concept or the expectation that God could come in their lifetime. Not by mistake. God designed it that way. And, and, and John believed that, that Jesus could come in his day. 
And we believe that he could come in his day. And this is what Paul tells us about it. Paul says, he who has this hope in him purifies himself. So what is that hope? That hope is, is in Jesus' return, in the rapture, in going home. And when you have to live pure and you have to live your life every day like Jesus could come back, it purifies how you live. And then it goes on in verse 18 and it says, And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest. None of them were with us. So John is talking now about Antichrists. Okay? So the term Antichrist... Drink, drink, drink. The term Antichrist is a, is a figure in the future, like Judas Iscariot, who's going to be filled with Satan himself, and, and he's going to lead the world during the Great Tribulation, this, this ominous figure called the Antichrist. What John says here is that throughout history, there'll be many Antichrists or types of Antichrists. There's only going to be one. The Antichrist is going to be a very handsome, very charismatic, very accomplished gentleman in the future who is going to um, rule the world for a very short time under the power of Satan. Read about it in the book of Revelation. And then John now is saying that, you know, Hitler, for example, was a type of Antichrist and is evil in what he did. Um, Stalin, who, who way outdid Hitler in the amount of people that he killed and murdered in his, in his life, is a type of, of Stalin. Nero, who was alive in John's day, who was a tyrant much like those guys, who was murdering Christians by the hundreds of thousands, was an, a type of Antichrist. And, and the spirit of Antichrist, John is going to talk about um, in the next chapter and the rest of the book, but he says, how do we know that they are a type or that they're an antichrist or against Christ? And he said, the first way you know is because they went out from us. So anybody who, who was in this church and then left and went to a different church, you're an antichrist. Just kidding. Calm down. <laughs> has nothing to do with this church. It has nothing to do with the local church. It, it has to do with the, the body of Christ. Maybe some people are better off that went and, you know, began to grow in church. It's not talking about somebody who was in a different church last week. It's talking about somebody that went out from us. Us, when we say us, understand that we're talking about new life across the street. We're talking about K2. We're talking about Calvary Chapel, um, Salt Lake City. We're talking about the Baptist church and Pastor John McCarthy up on the hill. That's us. That's the body of Christ. It's people who, who are born again, spirit-filled believers who believe in Jesus Christ, the body of Christ. And John says they went out from us. And if they were from us, then they would, they would know us and they would have remained with us. So basically he's saying those that left the gospel that, that the disciples preached, those that left the, the, the teaching that Jesus gave, those are the ones that we know are antichrists. And they, they, they gave us a different gospel. What did, what did um, Paul say concerning this? He said, if anyone preach another gospel, let him be an anthema. Let him be accursed. If they bring any other gospel than what we brought, let him be accursed. And John said, how do you know they're not? Because they went out from us, from the body of Christ, and they started their own thing. In verse 27, look at verse 27 really quick. It says, but the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, it is true and is not a lie, but, as, but just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. So, 
He says, you have no need that no one teach you. Everybody's like, what the heck am I doing here then? I'm going to get up and leave. Um, it's not what he's talking about, right? All, all the way through the scriptures, the, the Bible tells us to make disciples, to teach, to preach the word. Paul told Timothy, preach the word in season, out of season. Be ready to give a defense of your faith. Paul says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When he says you have no need that no one teach you, this is, this is what he's talking about. You guys, there, there's a spirit, it's, it's alive in all the cults, and, and you need some revelation that this person has to get saved, to know truth. Some church has it, some individual has it. Last, last year around this time, we were studying biblical prophecy. We, we are approaching the, the time of the Feast of Trumpets, um, which is always very interesting for biblical prophecy and fulfillment of biblical prophecy in this, this fall season. Last year, we spent a, a series, we did a series leading up to the, the Feast of Trumpets about biblical prophecy. And so I'm online, I'm on YouTube, and I'm, I'm checking out different prophecy updates and teachers, and I find this one teaching. And I don't even remember the guy's name, praise God. And, and it was really good. And, and I liked it. And there was, there, was, there was meat and there was bones. And so I could, I could chew the meat and spit out the bones. And, 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 you know, but it was really good. And, and it was done really well. Big church, um, multiple HD cameras in this, in this church and the way it's produced. And then right at the end, um, he, he, the commercial comes on. And, and this, this church and this pastor has this commercial that, that offers to sell you this prophecy update package deal that you need to have to understand. And there's no other way to get it than, than through this offer and through this pastor and this revelation that was given to him. And I'm like, man, I got to have that. I'm not going to be able to understand this stuff unless I get this. It's 100 bucks. I got to buy it. I got to watch this stuff. And immediately, right, I'm like, no, oh, stop. Red flag. Like, I, I don't need anyone to teach me. I don't need this guy and what he has. He doesn't have a corner on the market. God can speak to me. God can speak to you. God can speak to the person sitting next to you. Just as clear, God has given us his word. He's given us revelation from his word. And so when anybody comes and we have it all over the place, right? It, it's, 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 it's what Joseph Smith said. It's what the, the founder of the JWs and the Jehovah Witnesses said. It's the same lie that, 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 that's present in Islam. It's the same lie that's present in all the isms and schisms and cults is that there's some exclusive revelation that only a prophet and this person can bring. And John here refutes that. And John says, you, not, you don't need that a man teach you. And how do you know they're antichrist? How do you know they're not of us? Because they went out from us and they began to teach something different than what the apostles taught, than what the disciples taught, than what the followers of Jesus in the first century and the word of God records. They teach you something different. They're anathema. They're cursed, the apostle Paul says, and they're not of us. Amen? Amen. And then he goes on and he says um, in verse number 20, let's go 19 or 20, I'm sorry. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. Now, how many of you guys are feeling good about yourselves right now? You know all things. Nobody, right? I mean, not really, right? Like, you're like, well, I'm pretty smart, but all things? Really? You think I know all things? All right, fine. Nobody really feels like, hey, yeah, I know everything. But here, John says, you know all things. And again, it's the same spirit of what I just spoke of. It's the same heart. You, you have access to all things that, that, that you need for edification, that you need for salvation. And don't again, don't let anybody tell you they have a corner on the market. And I want to tell you, you know, I have no corner on the market. 
I have nothing better or, or unique or, or different. I, I just try to communicate what the Word of God says, something you can receive by reading the Word. You can grow in Jesus just the same. And, and, and you, you know, we, we gather together in obedience to God's Word, but it's not to bring some special revelation or something you've never heard before. It's, it's to sharpen one another. Amen? Verse 21 says, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar, but he who denies Jesus is the Christ. He is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. And he who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. And so John says, here's another mark of the, of the types of Antichrist are those who went out from us. Last thing, you guys, then we really are done. Here's another mark. First of all, they went out from us. First of all, they preach exclusivity, that you need them, a dependency. And here's another one, John says. John says that, um, that, sorry, that they, I was trying to get the wording right. They deny the son and, and they diminish the role of Jesus. What's consistent, and, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, what's consistent among a lot of the world religions when it comes to Jesus? The Jehovah Witnesses, the LDS Church, the Nation of Islam, they all diminish the role of Jesus Christ. And, and, and some people would say, well, why is it so bad? What's the big deal? You know, like they, 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 they have Jesus or they talk about Jesus. They like Jesus. They, you know, they have a perspective of Jesus. I want to tell you, it is the biggest deal. It is the most important deal that we get the right Jesus and that we don't diminish the role of Jesus. Last week I shared, I want to illustrate it this way. Um, I got this note from John Corson in his commentary. The, last week, we, um, we illustrated a bridge operator who takes his son and his son. The first illustration, his son gets trapped in the gears and the father has to close the bridge to save the train. Kills his son. In the second illustration, the father um, throws his son into the gears so the son's blood will oil the gears so the gears will move and close the bridge. This week, let's look at it this way. If we, had, if we had a dinner party at my house, and we're talking about diminishing Jesus Christ to keep this in context and, and why it's so important. If we had a dinner party at my house and, and we're there and we're having dinner and as we did last night, mom made gumbo and it was good. And, and, and somebody runs in and kicks in the front door and rolls a grenade towards us. And you guys all freeze, but not me. I get up and I spring into action. And I run down the hallway and I grab my son. He's 12 years old. And I throw him on top of the grenade. And he saves the rest of us. But he, he, doesn't, he doesn't fare so well. We say, wow, you, 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 you sprung into action. You saved my life. But I just think it's a little cruel to use your son to, 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 to cover the grenade. And, and that was the illustration last week. The father threw his son into the gears. Why didn't the father jump into the gears himself? And, 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 and save the day. Why, why would I run down the hall and throw my son on it? What, what is your reaction? Am I a good father? Am I? You guys not sure? Am I a good father if I run down the hallway and I grab my son and I throw him on top of the grenade to save you? This is not Chinese. I'm not a good father. I'm not a good person. I'm a scum. There's something wrong with me. A good father would jump on the grenade himself. 
But, but yet the father takes his son and throws him on the grenade and throws him on the cross and he dies for your sins and my sins. And, and that's the way the world's going to look at it if we make Jesus anything other than God himself. The Bible is so clear. Jesus is God. God sent himself. The Bible says, great is the mystery of godliness that God became flesh. God became flesh. Over and over and over again. Just read it with open eyes. It just tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh, and the Word dwelt among us. Jesus is described in Isaiah as everlasting Father. Eternal God. You know, it makes a completely different sacrifice and, and, and sanctification story if God Himself comes and dies on a cross other than just, you know, he's going to stay there in his safety and he's going to send somebody else. No, Jesus is God. Jesus said in John 17, Jesus said, God, return. He's, he's going to, he's, John 17, five minutes later, Judas shows up to do dies. He's going to, he's going to start his, his crucifixion and die on the cross, his last prayer. And he's pouring his heart out for you and me. He's just asking God to bless you and take care of you. And he's going to leave now. And God would just really do amazing work in your life. He's just praying for us. And the beginning of that prayer, he says, God, it's time. Restore me to the glory that I had before I came. Jesus was in his glory with the Father. Him and the Father are one. I think they had like a vote in heaven, like two to one. (laughs) Jesus lost. But when when you diminish the role of Jesus and the the person of Jesus Christ, you you make the Father cruel. Jesus was God. He is God. God sent His Son. God sent Himself. God Himself came out of heaven and died on a cross. And that's what John is saying here. And that if you deny Jesus, you deny the Father. You don't get one without the other. I'm sorry to offend you, but you can't have Heavenly Father without Jesus. You don't get Heavenly Father. That's not God. That's That's not the God of the Bible. Because you don't get one without the other. You can't diminish Jesus and, and take the rest. Like, so, like, like Satan has orchestrated in so many different places and ways. Amen? You know, if... I guess it's the same thing. I guess I kind of already illustrated it. But it's just such a huge deal. You know, if, if I jumped on the grenade in the dinner party and, and now I jumped on the grenade and, you know, it blew me all pieces and blew both my arms off. But I didn't quite... I still made it. And you came and you said, well, I know that you don't have any arms and both your ears got blown off and you don't, you know, you barely can see. And, you know, um, but it really wasn't you that sacrificed for me. It was kind of like some emanation or something that you, you know, it wasn't really you. You don't really get credit for what you did. Like, I'm going to be upset, right? Like, I got no arms and my legs are blown off. I'll fight you with my tongue or something. I don't know, but... I mean, we're, it's offensive, right? It's offensive if we, if we don't give, if we don't make Jesus God. And it's not a little deal. It's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. Jesus, is the, Jesus and the Father are one, Jesus said. We have a Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It, it is difficult to understand. It is difficult to wrap our minds around. Relax, you don't have to. The, the things of God are higher than our, than, than our ways. Amen? All right, I'm done. Let's uh, let's have the worship team come up, and then we'll uh, 
want to pray for you guys today. I want to pray for communion. I want to pray that, that if uh, God spoke to your heart today about something, and maybe in your life, there's, there's two, two nails, I guess, today. I try to stick to one, but really there's two nails that we hammered today. I'm sorry. There's two nails we hammered today to try to um, keep it consistent. Um, the first one is do not love the things of the world. And the things of the world don't fulfill. And if there's something going on in your life this week, if there's something going on in your life, you know, mountain you're going around and, and, and this idea of loving the things of the world, I just want to encourage you this morning that, that God's got something so much better for you. God will take so much better care of you than you take care of yourself. Those things that, that we put God on the shelf to pursue, they don't fulfill. They don't, they don't bring that joy that God wants to bring in your life. God will do you so much better than you do yourself. And, and that um, the next one is just the other one we hammered today was that, that Jesus is God in the flesh, manifest, died on a cross and, and, and rose again, and that he, he, he offers you eternal life. And that, that we'll read in the next section tonight that what is the, what is the gift, what is the, the reward? The reward is eternal life that God offers to you. So we want to want to give you, as, as, as always, an opportunity to receive eternal life. Get your lives and your heart right with Jesus. We'll, uh, we'll pray. I'll pray for the bread and the cup. We'll have you guys come up. Take it back to your seat. We'll have a song um, to play just so you can spend some time with the Lord. Spend some time in prayer. I just encourage you guys, as you pray, don't only just talk, also listen. And maybe God wants to speak something to your heart or speak something to you. And so... So seek the Lord during this last song. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we thank you, Lord Jesus, so much for this day. And Jesus, we thank you that, that you, you love us. Lord, we thank you that, God, you sent your son. That, God, you came out of heaven and you humbled yourself. You emptied yourself and you became a man and you took on flesh. And, and you taught us what the Father was like and you taught us the heart of God. We thank you for Grandpa John and... We thank you that he shoots straight and that, that he was dealing with some cults and some isms in his day. And he described how we recognize cults and isms, and it's true in our day. And Lord, not to be intentionally offensive to anybody of, of another faith, but to tell the truth that, that, that the deity of Jesus Christ is, is important and it's crucial. Lord, we thank you for this, this communion we're going to receive as a family. We thank you for the bread, which represents your body that was broken for us. We thank you for this cup which represents your blood that was shed for us. And we ask that you do this in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen.